0: I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com Theosophia, and consider donating to this Labor of Love Project for Women's Empowerment. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everyone. King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. I like to think about the other side of this coin of logic too, is that flourishing anywhere is a hope for growth everywhere. At least that's how I like to think about it one of the biggest reasons I started this podcast was because I saw an injustice in our society and culture, that there are not enough women's voices out there in the public, especially surrounding topics of religion and theology, and especially women of color. And there are plenty of women out there doing this work, but sometimes not in positions of power or we're not able to share their voices for whatever reason, and that silence impacts our world, I think, in a, in a negative way. So I pri- By providing this platform, a podcast for women's voices in theology and religion, I think this is just one small way women can claim space and authority on areas of expertise we've always had, but need the world to acknowledge and to know about. And as a podcast devoted to all women's voices, we value diversity and an intersectionality approach to our conversations And we acknowledge that diversity in thought, experience, race, gender, sexuality, national origin, religion, culture, and so on is a gift from God. So to that end, it is my great pleasure to have on the podcast the next two weeks, my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Brittany Juliette Hanlon, Brittany, Reverend Brittany bust down the doors of stereotypes of black ministers in our country. And she shines forth with her inner and outer beauty and her extremely sharp intellect. She is the first African American to be ordained in the Iowa Conference of the United Church of Christ, and her presence in ministry should give all young black girls hope for their futures to be whoever God calls them to be, including a pastor. Reverend Brittany was born in East Orange, New Jersey, and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina at the age of 11. She graduated from Howard University in Washington, D.C., studying sociology and community development. Upon graduating, Brittany became an AmeriCorps volunteer as a youth care worker for young ladies between the ages of 11 and 14 at Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago. She earned her Master of Divinity degree from Vanderbilt Divinity School in 2016 Reverend Brittany is very passionate about providing authentic and effective pastoral care to children and youth. She's currently an associate minister at Marble Collegiate Church in New York. Welcome, Reverend Brittany Hamlin. I was googling you uh-huh. today just to see what was out there, and I found your Miss Black Iowa from yeah. 2017. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool. What was that? <laughs> what was that about? Like, how did you get in, into that?
1: I was sitting in my room, and I was like. I saw about the Miss Black North Carolina pageant that we have in North Carolina. And I was like, Oh, I won a pageant in high school. And I saw it that I would do be Miss Black North Carolina one day. And uh, it just came to me randomly. And I was like, I wonder if Iowa has a competition just, you know, shits and giggles. And then mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I Googled it and it was like apply to be a delegate and I didn't take it seriously, but I like filled out the initial form. I didn't send a picture or anything and they called me a couple of days later and like wanted to have an interview and i interviewed with them that night and then like i got an email at like 12 o'clock in the morning that was like we selected you to be miss black iowa like are you interested in competing whatever whatever we've never had a minister do this before and it wasn't like a swimsuit competition or anything and i was like okay sure um and i did it because i felt like i as a, as a kid and as a black woman i felt like Um, I often had to choose whether to be pretty or smart because Mm -hmm. being both was never acceptable. And so it was really hard to be both, essentially, you know, and, like, there's nothing that I can do about either of those things. And I was, like, I felt like it was almost like I needed to shy away from it. Um, And so that's a part of, like, the, you know, my respectability politic is very, like, what it is. And so I felt like, okay, I need to do something that's going to show other little black girls and give them, like, courage enough to know that they can be this and that. Like, right. th- these things are not mutually exclusive, you know, and you can, you know, do this and more. So, right. um, yeah, that's why I did it.
0: That's so cool.
1: Stop. And to bring, you know, to let these people know that women of faith are out here and we have things to say and we're not just, you know listening to men tell us what to Mm -hmm. do in ministry and, or how Mm -hmm. to live our lives or whatever, like, you know, that God has called and ordained women to, to lead. And that's what I'm doing. And so it was just important to me to like, you know, break some of the stereotypes of like what a pastor looks like and what a beauty queen looks like and how both of those things can kind of coincide together if you're deliberate and, you know, making it happen.
0: So. I love what the article says. It says, this is what a pastor looks like. Yeah. Like hell yes. Yeah. A black woman, absolutely. freaking Right. Yes. And they just
1: like super were not used to that. And um, so, yeah. Oh yeah. So it was, it was an interesting experience. I don't mm. need to definitely, I definitely don't need to do it again, but it was cool. <laughs> um, and
0: yeah. Yeah. But that visibility is like you said, that's so important for young girls and just women everywhere. But yeah. Let's let's back up. I just wanted to throw that out there cuz I thought that'd be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. But let's start with like where you're from and your background. Uh your spiritual and religious yeah. background, how you grew up.
1: Um I am from East Orange, New Jersey. I was born and raised. I lived here until I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. I live here currently now. Um it's about a 30-minute train ride into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. um an hour drive not even like 30 minute drive as well like depending on traffic if there's no traffic you can get there super quick if there's traffic mm-hmm. which is manhattan that's gonna take a while right um so i grew up in east orange i was uh i grew up with my grandmother uh my maternal grandmother Juliet, whom i am named after mm-hmm. and uh she was a very like my grandmother's a very spiritual person and kind of like superstitious, but not necessarily religious. So she didn't like go to church, but like had this like deep faith in God and like read the Bible, but like wasn't necessarily interested in like the communal fellowship of church. Mm-hmm. So, um, but she got me dressed every Sunday and made sure that I like was there. So I went to church every Sunday. Um, yeah. And so I went to a Baptist church when I was six years old and fell in love with it because it felt like. For the first time in my life, the things that I felt inside were like, I, they made sense. Like that there was something beyond me. Like there was someone beyond me, like a, a community beyond me that like was striving for something other than what was, we were seeing in our, like in my household, in in my community. Like I knew that there was something more and I, going to church like helped me like visualize that. mm mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a small little American Baptist church in Orange, New Jersey, uh called Unity Baptist Church and I loved everything about it. Um I went I did everything in church. I sang in the choir. I was on the little ushers, the the children's mm-hmm. usher board. Um I was every I did everything in Sunday school, read all the recitations and stuff. And like church was like honestly like one like part of my week that I really looked forward to. Mm-hmm. It was like school I loved too, but church was just like, like a a treat, like a, like a super treat. And, um, I just, I really loved church. Um, and I loved Friday nights because we would have rehearsal for the youth choir on Friday night. And it was just like a way to keep us out of trouble. And I was only six. So, you know, what do I know? But like the older kids were also in the church with us, I mean, in the choir. So, you know, looking back on those things, I just, just really like had a, a strong love for, Church and community and like being being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so then I moved to North Carolina when I was eleven, and I stopped going to church, and that was really hard for me and leaving my community. And then when I was in high school, I was dealing with a lot of depression, and so um, I was in the color guard, and I asked the drum major if um, I could go to church with her, and she said like Yeah, of course." And so I went to church with her and her family because her mother was a minister. And uh, slowly but surely, like I joined the Methodist church Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh, like their family, her family took me in and like they became my family and they are my family now. And yeah, so that was my Methodist experience. (laughs) And so when I went to college, I didn't do anything. I didn't go to church really. I I mean, a few Sundays, like, you know, here and there, but it wasn't like consistent. Like I joined a church or anything. And then when I moved to Chicago after I graduated from college, um, I joined Trinity United Church of Christ um, because I like fell in love with the first service that I went to. It was like this huge sanctuary full of black people, like praising God and like speaking, and like just it was just like this full like room of energy and just like Mm -hmm. vibrancy. And so I joined um, and I was like, mesmerized and really intrigued by the saying unashamedly Black, unapologetically Christian.
0: Mm. And
1: um, it just kind of stuck with me. And so I was really interested in learning what the United Church of Christ was. So I joined Trinity United Church of Christ. And yeah, then the next year, I went to Divinity School and continued to pursue, you know, my call in the United Church of Christ. And bo- the summer before I went to Divinity School, um, my brother, this yeah, the summer that I went to Divinity School, my brother came home and my sister came home because it was my trial sermon, like my launch sermon, my first sermon in uh, North Carolina. And uh, my brother came out to me and my sister in the Target parking lot. And I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> and he was just like, seriously and I was like you're not serious like I'm not even about to take this seriously because you're not serious and he was like I'm serious and Anna was like Brittany I think he's serious and I was like he's not serious like he's not serious and so he was like yeah I am and I was like oh my gosh Carrie and so when um the church that I was interning at was a really great church and they were great people but their denomination is Baptist they're cooperative Baptist but I was you know just still like I didn't want to that wasn't what I felt called to and I was like Still, just really feeling like United Church of Christ, but not knowing as much about it as I did other denominations. Mm-hmm. But when my brother said that you know he was gay, I felt like it was my responsibility, like to to go into ministry responsibly, mm. right? Um, and if I was going to be a part of the, a denomination, I needed to be a part of a job do- a denomination that when I preached, he could sit down and feel comfortable mm. being who he was, mm. um, because. I sometimes often did not feel comfortable being who I was in church settings that we were in. So I just felt like it was really important that, you know, I extended a courtesy to him that was often um, hard for me, not because of my family or, you know, and not even just because of the church, but just because of the culture. And like the, you know, churches are segregated typically. And so mm-hmm. to see one that's integrated is, is like beautiful, but it's not the norm in where we grew up, so right. I wanted to make sure that he felt loved and cared for, and like that he would, you know, be welcome.
0: That's wonderful. That's so mm-hmm. great. I was going to ask why why the UCC and um obviously you named one thing they're mm-hmm. open and affirming to LGBT folk, but what else about it drew you? Like the is, is it? Did was it mm-hmm. started by black folks? Is it a no? Okay. The
1: United Church of Christ is a so we're a denomination that's a new denomination that is or newer denomination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a we're a younger denomination, so we don't have the same history as everybody else, but our history is still deep because we came together from four other denominations. Okay, they came together and and we joined. Um. The UCC is a very unique place for me in in how how I came to them again is because of Trinity United Church of Christ. So when I came and it was this, this vibrant community of black folks, mm-hmm. I assumed that there were also other b- bigger black churches or other, right. you know, black churches that were UCC like throughout, you know. I didn't think that there were so few. There are and there are thriving churches in African American community that are UCC, but they're not as many as I had in my mind
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, from seeing a church like Trinity. So the UCC for me was intriguing because it finally was a place that I felt, like like I said, was super welcoming. Um, the idea that God was still speaking, so you don't put a period where God has put a comma like that to me, mm. something that was super um, transformative in my life because sometimes you know, growing up in in the circumstances that I did and just being the 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 having the mindset that I do sometimes and just being like, you know, this very um perfectionistic type person Mm -hmm. um to feel like God I'm not God and I can't things will things can change, you know, like if I put my hope in God and put my faith in something other than myself, then I can believe that it won't always be like this. And so yeah, that was something that really changed my life when I was coming out of college um, because I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well and to succeed. And and it was just the beginning conversation that I needed to have with myself about not putting a period where God had put a So mm-hmm. that was one of the draws to UCC. The other draw was once I actually did a little research and figured out who the UCC was, one of our denominations that were made up of um, that came together are the Congregationalists. And so once I, I graduated from Howard university and um, Howard university was also founded by Congreg the Congregationalist church. And okay. so knowing those ties and knowing yeah. that, um, there was like a deep-rooted history in in fighting for rights and so on and so forth. Now, mind you, the UCC is not perfect. It has a long way to go. We all do. But it was just the idea that I could go into a place and and feel like I was welcome. I didn't want to have to fight. And not, again, it's not perfect, but I didn't want to feel like I had to – to hide parts of myself in order to, to, to pursue something that I felt like God was calling me to. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I needed to, you know, there were so many battles that I already had to fight. I didn't want to fight with a denomination about whether or not women should be ordained right. or whether or not I can stand in the pulpit or whether or not I'm, you know, what my, you know, like what the hierarchy where I fall in the church hierarchy, like I mm-hmm. just didn't, I didn't want to fight that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it would have just made me angry and angry and bitter and just burned me out of it. And so I think that, you know, God was like, no, there's a way for you to do this. And it's still not going to be easy. And the road is not going to be, you know, I didn't, I, I did still take the road less traveled in the UCC. I was the first African-American male or female ordained in the United Church of Christ in the Iowa conference. So mm-hmm. that in it of itself just shows how far we still have to go. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it was my road to take. And yeah, the UCC has has opened my eyes in so many ways. And I'm still a young UCCer, and I didn't want to give a whole like theology lesson in here about, <laughs> you know, the UCC. But it, it has been a denomination that has really shown me that, you know, God is really still speaking and that there is power when we come together and believe in something bigger than ourselves and work for justice here and now and for the future.
0: So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, I have so many follow-up questions. (laughs) You know, at first I want to ask about your experience at Howard. I think the historically black colleges are really cool and Mm -hmm. Everyone I know that's gone there has had just a really, really positive experience. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you choose to go there, and what what was your experience like? And why do you think they're important? Whew, there's okay, twelve questions. So, go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I started off after I graduated from college. I mean, from high school in 2008, I went to Gardner Webb University, which mm-hmm. is a small Southern Baptist college in North Carolina. Um, I had no idea really what Southern Baptist in that context meant. I didn't really know. I mean, I'm a Baptist, right? And I'm just thinking that like, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but it wasn't. No, um, it's not. and it was in a very, very <laughs> small, small town. And this isn't to bash, you know, anybody's like denomination or whatever, like keep, you know, whatever, God be with you. But, um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into at that particular place. And it was really hard being there and um, it was in a a very small town in North Carolina and I am not a small town girl. So it was just very interesting when I arrived. And then when I saw the racial dynamics and just, you know, how ill-equipped they were to handle those Mm -hmm. situations and those dynamics, I knew that it wasn't a place that I felt safe in. Um, That was the year that President Obama was elected uh, into office and... We as African American students rejoiced and we uh the police were called on us and mm. it was just like a lot of like racial division that we saw and just like a lot of tension and just a lot of racism, period. Mm-hmm. Um and so I went to the inauguration of of President Obama in DC with my parents and my siblings, and I was like, I'm going to Howard, like I'm just gonna go to Howard. And so I went to Howard, <laughs> I applied on our way back, I wrote my essay in the car on the way back, I typed it out, and I applied when I got back to Gardner-Webb and I was accepted, and the, the rest was history. I knew that I needed to go to a place that I could grow and learn within myself. Um, when I was in high school, I went through a bit of an identity crisis. I didn't really know who I was. I felt like I was constantly problematized or pathologized for being a black woman. And being mm-hmm. a, a, a passionate black girl, so mm-hmm. um, I tried to do things to minimize my blackness, and mm-hmm. so I lost a lot of myself. And so going to Gardner Webb was kind of the the jolt of reality that I needed to realize that like I need to, I needed to be proud of who I was because trying to be somebody else wasn't going to save me either. Yeah. Um. And so I, when I went to Howard, it was just like the the step that I needed in the right direction of like loving myself and figuring out who I was as a person. And, you know, realizing that my history was deep and that I didn't even scratch the surface, you know, with my knowledge and, um, that loving myself was a beautiful thing. And that there were other, you know, smart, capable black people out doing positive, wonderful things in the world, encouraging each other. It was just like what I needed to do. Um, for myself at the time. So yeah, that's how I got to Howard. And my grandmother actually uh, Juliet was supposed to go to Howard university and for circumstances outside of her control. She wasn't able to, to start that fall and she just never went back. Mm -hmm. And so graduating kind of felt like a full circle thing. Like don't put a period where God has put a comma.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so great. I, I can only imagine what a, a nourishing and awesome space that was for you in that time of your life. Yeah. It was it was a really
1: I Howard was great. I learned a lot about myself in that place.
0: hmm Yeah. I think that's a similarly like why I chose to go to Vanderbilt for divinity mm-hmm. school. I mean the like my education under Notre at Notre Dame was all white male professors Mm -hmm. and obviously I adore them and it was a wonderful experience, but I wanted a completely, you know, different feel and to Mm -hmm. not have to constantly think and do and be in a white male mind, but to go learn from women and Mm -hmm. LGBT folk and people of color and to get out of that. Headspace and that way of thinking and and it was in a huge way like you were saying for me to find myself and Mm -hmm. to grow and heal and to be around people like me was just Mm -hmm. such a powerful experience for me um but that's great how about I want to know about your your call to ordination and how you experienced that and what that's what that was like for you when I was 16
1: years old, I was uh, volunteering with my sister um, at Room in the Inn. I was actually 15. My 16th birthday was like three weeks away. And um, I was volunteering. And vo- Room in the Inn, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's like churches open their doors to folks who are experiencing homelessness. And, you know, they can, you know, they have showers and there's beds yep. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it was the youth's week to do room in the inn and so my sister and I went to the church and there was this young black woman sitting in the corner by herself and she and I were the only two black people in the room and so I went over and sat next to her and she just kind of told me her story and how she was you know homeless at this time and how her children were um, not with her and just you know some of her hardships and her struggles and I just felt very touched by her story and I heard a voice inside of me say like this is what you're gonna do for the rest of your life and i was like okay yeah all right like sure what is that like listen (laughs) to people's stories like what are you talking about because it's Mm -hmm. obviously not a pastor like no but then remembering like the little girl that i was like telling my sunday school teacher like i'm gonna do everything i'm gonna be the nurse and i'm gonna be i'm gonna you know be an usher's guild and I'm going to direct the choir and I'm going to be the Sunday school teacher and all of those things because I didn't think that I could be a pastor. So I heard that voice inside of me say, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And so I went to um, one of the women ministers at the church and asked to have a conversation with her. And I told her like, I think I might be called to ministry. And she said, you know, Brittany, you very well might be called to ministry and that's beautiful. I just want you to know that um, it's going to be hard for you because you're a black woman because mm. you're black and because you're a woman. And I was like, mm. Oh God, you know, and this is a white lady telling me this. So I was just like, all right, you're well right. back to the drawing board. I'm going to, you know, go back to my idea of being an attorney. And so i uh, I worked at uh, freedom schools, um, children's defense fund, freedom schools each summer while that I was in college at Howard. And um, back in North Carolina, I went home every summer and worked at home. And Freedom Schools is a, a liter- is a literacy-based reading camp for children who are underprivileged to make sure that they stay on reading level, on grade level, for the following year. Because we, like, through, you know, studies, they realized that kids were falling behind in the summer. Um, and so this program was implemented to try to keep them either at grade level or above or get them to grade level mm-hmm. in some way. And so the sites are all over the place. And one of the sites was at a um, Presbyterian church. And I just really felt called to ministry and like being like getting my hands and feet dirty with the people. Like that's what I like really loved about my job with the mm-hmm. kids because there was just the, a, like a an earthiness to it, um, as Tech Sample would say. And <laughs> um Yeah. So I went to that pastor and told her kind of, you know, I felt like I was called to ministry when I was 16, but I don't know. And I'm in college and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And she said, you know, Brittany, I think that, I think that you very well are called to ministry and I think you should pursue it. And I support you. And like, thank you for coming to talk to me about this. How else can I like encourage you and lead you along this journey? And then I thought, Oh no, I'm not going to do this. I'll be a teacher. That's easy. You know, like I'm really good with kids. Like, I'll be a teacher. <laughs> and so I applied to all these teaching programs and I didn't get into any of them. Mm. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do after I graduated from college. And so I, <laughs> oh, I Googled orphanages randomly. I Googled orphanages in Chicago and No one calls group homes orphanages, but I did. I Googled it in (laughs) Chicago and a program came up that was a a year of service, um, simple living, living with a group of other people working in various uh, departments in a social service agency that was a group home, essentially. Um, but had di- many different facets and you could work directly with the kids or you could work in the offices like there were just different things that you could do. So I applied to the program and was accepted and I was like, OK, God, well, here we are. This is at least like a year, like, yeah. you know, to figure this out. And we wrote a part of our program. We had retreats and our, on our first retreat. We had to write ourselves letters that we would get at the end of the year. And in my letter that I wrote to myself, I said, you know, i you very well may you very well may be called to ministry, take this time to like discern this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: once I read the letter um back at that at the end of the year, I had already been accepted to Vanderbilt and Yale and Emory and Candler, the schools that I I mean and uh Claremont, the schools that I had applied to and I had gotten full rides to all of them. So I was like, I guess, God, you made a way. Like this is what I'm supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I had one of my youth, because I was a youth care worker in that program with girls ages 11 through 14, and one of my um, 12-year-olds wrote me a letter telling me that I was going to Divinity School, or that she was really proud of me for going to Divinity School, and that she really appreciated me for all that I did for her, all that. But then what really like, took me out was that she said, you know, you're going to, God wants me to tell you this girl was like of deep faith and she was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. She said, God wants me to tell you that um, there's no teacher, there's no school book, there's no textbook that can, that can articulate who God is in the world. When you need to find God, you need to get down on your face and find Mm. God. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I mean, I still have the letter with me. I carry it with me every day. It's something that I like, it, it really was. And I, look back in some of my experiences in divinity school. And I was like, that little girl spoke to me. I had like, if I had just gone back there, you know, if I had like really understood at the time, like that God was really speaking, like I knew it, but I didn't exactly know. Like, I'm like, okay, well I am prepared. I obviously know that, but like to, to really remember what she meant by that. And like what was on her heart when, when, when she wrote it was just, it's something that humbles me every day. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's, okay. So I went to, I did all that when I was in Chicago, before I went to Vanderbilt, um, I realized that the girls weren't getting any kind of like pastoral care, really. Mm -hmm. They had all these questions about why bad things were happening to them. And really no one was there to answer those things. And not that ministers can answer them, but there was no... Kind of a pastoral care for them, like how do you, you sit with someone who's right. struggling? You know, with these questions of theodicy, but they don't have the theological jargon that we do, right? right. So they don't know it's theodicy, but they know that they don't understand why bad things happen to good, good people, right? Um, so when I was in at night, and I would be at the end of the hallway after I've, you know, the girls have cried themselves to sleep, pretty much, I went back to myself as a kid, and I remember doing the same, and I remember. You know, wondering why those things were happening to me and how save, how much church saved my life and how in the ways in which church gave me hope for the future and things that I couldn't see right then. And so I thought, well, I obviously have to pay it forward and that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I went to divinity school and that's why I pursued a calling in pastoral ministry, because I felt like I really needed to be an example and to be the hands and feet doing the work of pastoral care for, for kids, specifically, you know, um, girls, but children in general, you know, like teenagers, preteens, like they have these deep questions and people ignore them. Um, and black kids in particular. Um, so I felt like I needed to, I had so much experience with it that it, and it just felt like what I was supposed to do. So.
0: Mm -hmm. That's why I did it. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Last question for you on this part. Um, what does imaging God as a woman mean to you? Is that part of your spiritual?
1: So yeah. Practice? Um wow, God is so much bigger to me these days than just like a finite being. Mm-hmm. But when I imagine God as a woman, I imagine myself. Mm -hmm. I imagine, um, my ancestors, I think of the book for, for colored girls who consider suicide when the rainbow is enough. And, uh, one of the lines from the choreo poem says, I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. when I think about God as a woman, I think about God in myself. And I think about, um, the idea of birthing new life and, and giving, um, you know, in in the the, the co creation that happens in the universe with with a woman, so it's not hard for me to imagine God as a woman because I think that I'm pretty divine. And um, yeah, girl, yeah. So to and I don't think that I'm God, but God is in me, right?
0: Absolutely. So yes. When I
1: see that, I it feels like when I imagine a woman, when I imagine God. I mean, I imagine the vastness of the universe. But Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when I think of God as a woman, I think of God dancing with the stars, Mm. you know, like a a woman like me, like dancing with the stars.
0: I love that. Mm -hmm. That That's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you again, Reverend Hanlon for sharing your story with us this week. You are an inspiration, not just for young black girls, but to all people. Your gifts and talents in the church are needed, and you're going to help so many people. And I can't wait to see how God uses you for good in your life in the church. I'm so proud to know you and call you friend. Join us next week, y'all, as we explore self-care in the church. Reverend Brittany and I discuss what types of self-care pastors should be doing and how their denominations should be keeping pastors accountable for taking care of themselves in the midst of their work in the church. We also break down stereotypes of mental health issues and talk about what it would mean to create narratives of healing instead of shame. This conversation is so, so good. I can't wait to share it with y'all. As always, you can find Theosophia on all the social media sites and be sure to stop by our Patreon page and consider supporting this Labor of Love podcast. See y'all next week. Have a great Martin Luther King Jr. Day, y'all. Peace.